there, but the, what, what's your mindset going into a game when you know or when you feel like you're going to see a lot of uh, opposing teams' number one cornerback? Well, what's your mindset going into it? Um, I'm happy. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a little respect, um, but, you know, I still got work to do. Um, one of the defensive coaches came up to me, and it kind of made me mad that he was like, um, you know, I was I was in Detroit with uh, Megatron, but you're not there yet. Um, you know, in my mind, I'm not trying to be Megatron. I'm trying to be me. So, um, you know, it had, had a little uh, chip on my shoulder the whole year. They do bring the extra man this time on third and 13. Wilson will take a deep shot. Metcalf is there, and he's got it. It's not a Tyreek Hill kind of night, not yet. We'll see. 11 minutes to play in the half. Russ to throw for it, and it is caught. Touchdown. David Moore for Seattle. From the 16. Try it on the ground. Chris Carson picking and choosing his way. Trying to stay on his feet, and he'll get there. Touchdown. Chris Carson from 16 yards away. Need four from the 15. Wentz throwing, and there's the interception. Welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast, the podcast where we are terrible, or well, one of us is, at wild predictions. This week, myself, Stuart Court, is as ever joined by Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm good. I never get as much sleep after the primetime game as I think I'm going to get. I always kind of stir at half past nine, check my phone and think, all right, well, I'll go back to sleep now for an hour. Never do get up. And so I get to, what time is it? Quarter to seven now, the day after prime time. And I feel, for want of a better expression, flaggy, I would say. Yeah. Um, to be fair, I feel better than I did after the Thursday, the fr- that Friday after the... It also yeah, that was, was rough. My, it also was my first day back at work for 17 days. So I might have had something to do with it. But yeah, today I don't feel too bad. And the game... I mean, so you kind of feel like the game was the experience of watching the game last night then? I don't know what to think about the game. Like, there's part of me that I'm not sure I can remember, like, a single play of, of the whole thing. Like, it was just such a very unseahawky, very boring, just kind of plod to victory without any real drama at any stage. Like, the biggest drama was probably in the first two drives of the game where we, you know, failed on fourth downs but I guess within that that kind of told you what everything that Pete Carroll thought about his opposition that like it didn't really matter because we were just going to win it at some point and the whole game just felt a bit like just doing it for the sake of filling in the box score for the statisticians in 50 years time yeah so there's a, there's a quote um, last year my team Coventry went to Bolton and drew nil-nil, and their entire team was their academy team. And our manager said, in Rothmans, in five years' time, people look at the score and think, that was a pretty good result for Cov. <laughs> if you looked at Rothmans of that game in five years' time, you go, oh yeah, Seahawks won, that. won a low scorer, relatively low scoring, against a poor team. It must have been a six o'clock kickoff. It kind of, like, everything felt like it was... It was one of those 10 a.m. games, didn't it? Like the whole, the whole like, I mean, Russell Wilson looked a bit off. The offense never really got going. It threatened to on several occasions, but never really got going. The defense flagged at the end of each half. It just, it was just weird. It, like, it wasn't, it wasn't, like you say, it wasn't a memorable one. There isn't really much highlights from it, really, because, I mean, yeah, for a lot of reasons. But I don't know. I mean, the Seahawks won. 
this, we, we called it, it could have been a bit of a trap game and they dodged the bullet despite their best efforts to, at the end of it. Well, look, the Seahawks defer the kickoff to, you know, to start, to receive. And so whenever that happens on the road, you're thinking, right, well, you know, let's see what we've got up against us. Um, they get uh, a neutral zone infraction. So it's first and five as the first play. And then Wentz throws three absolute ducks, including one of them that's a slant that probably could have gone for 20, 25 yards if he'd hit the guy in stride because he, w- he was going at full speed. And like After that, you just thought, well, this is just going to be a waste of time because they're rubbish. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the most entertaining and biggest, yeah, most enjoyment I had was that I basically turned into an accidental Neil Warnock. And uh, I was just screaming hoof every time at us for basically Wilson just to hoof it long to Metcalf every time because that play was on every time. And obviously DK will be the, the focal point of the conversation today. And it just felt like just lump it up to the big man uh, in kind of worn at Tony Pulis parlance um, and then knock it down for the little man like a Chris Carson in inverted commas there <laughs> over the line. It just felt, you know, just launch one up for DK, he'll catch it, and then we're good to go. And every play that wasn't launched to DK felt like a bit of a waste of time. Yeah, so for the Seahawks offense last night, only seven players touched the ball. Well, eight players, if you include postage, touched the ball. Russell Wilson, obviously, the main one. But yeah, I mean, everything during, especially after his first couple of jousts with um, Darius Slay, who's the one DB of note for the Eagles this year. Um, it, everything is about DK. He finished 13 targets, 10 catches, 177 yards. And weirdly for DK, not a touchdown. He already, Adam, has a 1,000-yard season. He's already in the top 20 all-time for Seahawks receiving yards. And last night... Um, he t- he's, well, he's tied with Golden Tate, Nate Burleson, Jeremy Stevens, and Dion Branch with 15 touchdowns. But the biggest thing with DK for me, I, th- I think I put it in our group chat last night, not last night during the game. He's got that swagger. He's got that now back from a team which we said on this podcast a few times. It was lacking. It was all a bit nice. But DK against whoever DBs and I mean Malik Jackson coming uh, blindsided him early in the game as well. He's a defensive tackle. He's just, it's just, it's nice to see that kind of, that talking himself up, backing it up kind of thing we saw from Sherman, all that lot back in the day, isn't it? It was genuinely hilarious when the second flag came (laughs) in on Malik Jackson. Uh, Like it was, it was just such a -a rope-a-dope thing from DK. And my favourite thing actually is that Jim Schwartz before the game, from all accounts, uh, commended him quite greatly. Uh, about Megatron and saying, you know, keep going and you'll be there. And DK has basically just decided in the classic NFL player, like, he's, he's, I've he's, decided that's not what he meant to say at all, even though he very clearly did. And he's basically just calling me shit. And so as a result, he's the, uh, and I took that personally, Michael Jordan. Yeah, he Michael which, Jordan him. Which is doing the rounds. And he just yeah. did. And he just, he, he honestly just made the, made last night so much more entertaining. Um I mean, like listening to Wilson's on-field press conference at the end of the game that was so cliche-fueled that Scott Van Pelt actually pulled away from the conference uh, after her first question because the, the answer was such bollocks that they're like, well, we're not going to hear any more of this. And then DK is just the polar opposite. Um, and it was great. Yeah, I mean, D, I think Cam Chancellor tweeted that like, DK is his, his kind of player, his kind of just persona and I think that like he would fit on that defense of four, five, six years ago. And he's just, yeah, it's just fun to watch and listen to someone 
who clearly knows how good he is, how good he can be, and he's is steadfast in his approach of just proving everyone wrong. I mean, the, he, he mentioned, I mean, he posted a picture on his Instagram last night and the location was the crib because he clearly feels at home at a place which a team which had three opportunities to draft him, which the Seahawks passed up on him twice. But I mean, it's like, it, I think the, even the commentators mentioned that it felt like a weird rivalry game when really we just seemed to play each other a lot over the last couple of years, but there's no other rivalry apart from that. But DK, I mean, like he's, he he may have to seem to be re- relocated to Lincoln Financial after the three three games he has had in that stadium, Adam. Um, but like, like the, the, the fact that DK got all those yards and the touchdown kind of sums everything up from last night, doesn't it? Though. Yeah, it was just messy. Everything was messy on, on both sides. Uh, sorry, offensively on both sides. Um, I, I tweeted, you know, on the third or fourth drive that Wilson looked skittish, but it wasn't. It, he wasn't like looking like when he sees ghosts when you can tell something's off. But I said it wasn't Mister Unlimited uh, kind of. He, he wasn't smooth. He, he wasn't. You, you can see with his feet quite often like when he's steady footed in the pocket and every move has a purpose. You can tell he's, he's under complete control over, over the surroundings, but he was very kind of on his toes and hopping about. It, it was a bit Baker Mayfieldy um, in kind of looking quite uncomfortable mm. in the pocket. Um, and, you know, I, I, at one o'clock, I think I, I said like, all right, Seattle, none of your bullshit, please, this evening. And unfortunately, I think it took about 15 minutes to, to dispel that, which was uh, slightly yeah. frustrating. But it's just... Um, yeah, it kind of felt like we got all of the the weird angst of a Seahawk primetime strange game, but none of the actual fun fun part that comes up at the end of it. It was just no. a win by six points that uh, sent people in Vegas absolutely insane, which was quite fun. <laughs> yeah, well, our, our pal Alistair Corp tweeted that with, on the Megatron Calvin Johnson thing, that Calvin Johnson through 27 games had 95 catches, 1,662 yards and 11 touchdowns. DK Metcalf through 27 has 116 catches, 1,939 yards, and 16 touchdowns. But yeah, it just kind of, like, I think Matty Brown tweeted that it's just, it was a 23 17 blowout. Yeah. Because like, even though there was a bit of a heart racing moment on the onside kick at the end of the game, it was like, apart, even when like, they made the two points, and as you say, sent uh, Vegas and Pat McAfee into a tailspin, it kind of just all kind of. Yeah, okay, cool. I mean, because they were, I mean, Carson Wentz is broken. Despite the efforts of Levy, Riddick, and Greasy, he is broken, and the 51 million hit on the salary cap next year is going to be quite something to see how they deal with. Yeah, I mean, he was beyond awful, and you just wonder, like, all the reports in the week and the weekend was Jalen Hurts was going to get more, more action, and he threw, like, two passes. Like, which just makes it feel worse for everyone because they brought him in, he completed the two-yard little out route to someone, and then he was off again. And he just, you know, you'd you'd be banging your head against the wall supporting a team like that. Uh, You know, they've got a Super Bowl ring uh, in their pocket, you know, fairly close in the rearview mirror. But, um, you know, they they appear to be entering a a level of purgatory whereby just don't know whether they're coming or going with, with the main man in the franchise. And that's just a disastrous place to be. And, you know, you do have to feel grateful every time you see um, other teams like that with, with the situation that we've got, because um, 
you know, you'd be furious. It, 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 you'd be raging with, with what they were doing last night. And, the, you know, there are a few people that work in Seattle media that are Eagles fans and following their tweets in the same time where they were trying to report from a professional standpoint and then tweet from a, uh, a personal standpoint it was quite funny just seeing their, their reactions. Um, but yeah, it was just a bizarre, bizarre thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just it, it, like, like I said last week in the pod, like he looked like the best quarterback in the league before he got injured in, is it the Coliseum in LA? Yeah. And then he got, he did his knee, but, but yeah, it was, I mean, Jalen, Jalen Hurts threw one pass and then just, uh, threw one pass and then just sat on the bench for the rest of the night with his helmet on. It was just it's bizarre because he's a second-round pick. It's not mm. like he's a fifth-round rookie like Kirk Cousins or uh, was with uh, Washington and RG3. He's a second-round pick. Like he was, It's just a weird, weird situation. Uh, running game for the Seahawks, Chris Carson was back, although he got out-touched by Carlos Side 15 rushes to eight for Chris Carson, but his touchdown run was as aggressive, as angry, I think, as I've seen a, a Russian touchdown from the Seahawks since uh, number 24 was doing that kind of thing. Adam, it was impressive. And it it was the embodiment of someone trying to prove a point through the final six, seven weeks of this season before he, his contract's up, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be very happy to see that level of usage going on for the rest of the regular season because one thing we missed massively last year was a healthy Chris Carson going into the playoffs. And yeah, we're going to come up against some absolute dreck in the next few weeks. And to be honest, I would be using Chris Carson as sparingly as necessary because there's just no point putting tread on the tires against the two New York teams that have got really nowhere to go, um, yeah. especially with the injuries that the Giants suffered um, over the weekend. But it was, you know, it was weird because we thought Carson was out the game after the first two two plays that he had and then all of a sudden he was back 20 minutes half an hour later and then uh, he exploded onto that run uh, for probably the, the most exciting play of the game mm-hmm. um, and then yeah I mean Hyde just kind of took care of business didn't run badly the, I think he ran better than his yardage and his numbers showed he, he seems to as we said last week run with an intelligence that rookies rookies don't possess right now um, and yeah with, with Penny coming back I'd happily let Hyde and Penny sort themselves out for the rest of the regular season um, and then let Carson let Carson cook in the, in the playoffs where, where necessary. Yeah. Uh, other non-DK wide receivers, Tyler Lockett and H-O-F-D-M-O. Um, Adam, it's a nice group and they're not asked to make plays on fourth and two from the Philly four, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, established David Moore was something I didn't expect to see uh, to, to that level going into the game. Um, that fourth down play call was completely bizarre. Um, and then I hate fades almost always, but you know, there was a great throw from Wilson to, to Moore for the touchdown. Um, Lockett kind of did what he needed to do when, when called upon. Um, was- I, I, th- I, th- I think Russell Wilson calmed down a bit after that first time of Lockett. Uh, completion. Obviously, he wasn't the levels he was earlier in the season, but he he seemed less skittish once he found um, Tyler Lockett. I think he moved out of the pocket and threw one of those crossing routes to him. He got like 15, 16 yards. But mm. after that, the rest of that drive and the rest, like the next couple of drives, he just looked, seemed calmer. It's almost like Tyler Lockett is like, was his, like, when you can't find your wallet when you mm. leave the house and he found his wallet and he just felt a lot more. 
calm and confident and composed. And yeah, he's just, it's like, it's, I was watching the highlights for 27, the game last time we played the Giants and the people who Russell Wilson was throwing the ball to were Tyler, Doug, and then just names. So it is quite, it's like, this is, I mean, Josh Gordon is still hovering, hovering at, at, at some point over this group as well. It's a nice group that, I mean, they lost Greg Olsen. We didn't really see anything from the tight ends. I mean, Will Disley, I don't know what's going on there. But if they add Josh and you're also adding Penny to the running back group, it's, it, like you say, it's, 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 they're going to pick up, you'd expect them to pick up some steam over the next month, even though the op- op- opposition is not what they've faced thus far, Adam. Yeah, I mean, the talent is definitely there to go almost as far as they want. The thing that worried me last night was that you had two fourth downs that you decided you were going to go for, and then you had to waste a timeout on both of them, (laughs) which is just like, it's fine against the Eagles, but that's going to cost you against the Packers or the Saints when you need, like, that's just bullshit. Yeah. Like if, if you're on third down, you know, you're going to go for it on fourth down. So you, you should be calling in two plays like that. If it happens once, fine. You know, Wilson was having head helmet issues, but twice like to waste two timeouts. And it was just a sloppily coached game. I, I thought from, from Seattle. Um, yeah. And that, that worried me actually more than any, any personnel and putting player stuff, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, on the airline, Ogbuhi, wherever you say his name is what exactly what you'd expect a backup right tackle to look like. And it's weird though. Brandon Shell is all of a sudden very rather important with Chase Young and everyone else coming down the stretch, Adam. Yeah, Nick Wright, I think, made a good point about that on, on social media that I didn't even think about with response to the uh, Wilson skittishness was that, you know, he seemed to really miss his right tackle. I'm trying to think that, obviously, the, the, the tackle positions have been a bit, have been actually fairly steady. I think if Eddie played almost every game last year, yeah. Dwayne Brown's not missed many games. Um, so, you know, maybe it just took a bit of time for Wilson to get used to having a different body on the outside of his line. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, defensively, it, well, as we've mentioned, it was up against a lot of broken toys, but for the most part, they did the right things for most of the night. I mean, Shaquille Griffin was back. Jamal Adams is looking healthier and finding ways to make plays with his, I'm guessing, still hurts or bum shoulder. And then you got Jay Reed and RJ Collier and Carlos Dunlap on the D-line making plays and making an impact, especially Carlos Dunlap with three and a half sacks in four games. He's Dwight Freeney, but we're going to get him for longer, Adam. Yeah, the, the defense, I'm thinking about it now, that individually it was just a, a lot of times it felt like our guys were just saying, we're too good for you right now. And if it wasn't Dunlap making a play, it was Wagner, you know, in coverage on, on a on the tight end, which was an amazing play off his helmet. It was Shaq Griffin. Uh, Quandra Diggs has a pick that Carson Wentz is obviously going to throw at some point. KJ Wright has a huge fourth down stop. Dunlap, um, a few sacks. Rasheem Green had a monster sack at one point. Yeah. Uh, LJ Collier with a Street Fighter celebration at the end. It just felt like whilst the unit was good, it felt like we almost had, it was the mo- the number one game where the most individual players stepped up and it was it was I have not even mentioned Jamal Adams um coming off the edge a couple of times. It just felt like everyone chipped in and did something at some point that just made it far too difficult for a team like the Eagles to win. Yeah, uh yeah, I'd agree. It was just nice especially with Shaq Griffin, Trey Flowers made a, a nice play, but Shaq Griffin it just looked like a cornerback playing Seahawks 
playing for the Seahawks has yeah. looked like for the last de- decade again, didn't it, with Shaq Griffin out there? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that's everything. The Seahawks uh, go back on top of the NFC West and they faced return home next week to face the New York Giants. So we'll move on and talk some about the Giants with two different special guests. For a trip to the national championship. Ogumawale. Good! One second remaining. No timeouts for UConn. Williams down the floor. Samuelson. Notre Dame with the win. Off to the title game. Three seconds for a national championship or overtime. Ogumawale for the win. Good! Arike Ogumawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Arike does it again. And the Irish do it again. So later on in the pod, we will talk to one of my mates who has, uh, whose liver would suffer terribly from a Giants playoff run. But also we have a very special guest joining us now. He's one, for my money, one of the best play-by-play guys in the business. He's covered everything from Final Fours to Wake Forest wide receivers playing quarterback in the NFL. And this weekend he will be in the booth watching Russell Wilson try and avoid Leonard Williams and the New York Giants. Welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast, Adam Amin. Hello, friends. How are you? Not too bad. How, how are you? It's been an interesting 2020, I'm sure, for you all the way through, hasn't it? Yeah, certainly. It's, uh, I mean, I imagine for everybody in their own individual circumstances, a lot of the same, but uh, uh, certainly unique for, for our line of work, uh, getting to navigate travel and preparation and Zoom calls as, uh, as far as the eye can see or stomach, frankly, at this point. So uh, it's been, it's still a lot, very fortunate though, very fortunate and grateful to actually get a chance to be doing this at this time. Yeah, so we were supposed to have you on a few weeks ago, but it, your health <laughs> took over. Obviously, you, you wrote, and after, after, once you got through the other side, you wrote a brilliant thread on social media about your experience with COVID. I had my parents, a younger brother, test positive around a similar time. It's just a brutal brutal thing is it i don't it's still it's amazing that some people still don't realize the true effects it can have on a person yeah it was uh, you know that's disappointing and i wish you know that that weren't necessarily the case you know we were uh i i don't wish it on anybody i'm i'm certainly understanding of people who you know don't uh you know don't don't feel like anything too bad's going to happen to them that's fine oftentimes that is the case and i hope that if if you run into this uh if you're you know, you have the, the misfortune of running into something like this. Hopefully it, it doesn't really affect you. I, I hope that is the case, but uh, I wasn't, uh, I, I, I was a little scared for, for certainly a, a few days, you know, mm. legitimately frightened and uh, very concerned about what was happening to my body and thankful about four weeks uh, from the worst of it now and, and starting to feel about as close to normal as, as I can remember feeling before, uh, before all that hit. Uh, so, so it's, it's, get, it's gotten a lot better and, you know, uh, Stu, thanks for saying that. I do appreciate uh, appreciate that. No worries, Adam. The league in itself has been pretty bullish in the way it's carried through all the way through the year. I mean, the draft didn't get moved, and there's been so many uh, discussions of, well, that's not going to happen. And until the Baltimore game this week, we've pretty much 
done well. And the swan has kind of floated fairly effortlessly across the water, but underneath those legs must be paddling like crazy to get everything going. How's it been different for you this year compared to uh, a normal year in inverted commas in terms of scheduling? And has there been a lot, you know, obviously testing, has it been much more trying in your role? Because there's so much going on to get these games on. And we probably don't hear enough about your side of things and how that happens. Sure. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to even say it's too, it's, it's overly trying. You know, I, I, I hesitate because I don't think uh, my scenario or, or the scenario of a lot of my colleagues is anywhere near what, you know, a lot of other people are dealing with currently. So I, I hesitate to, I, I, I strictly say within that context, for the, for, within context, yeah, for within context. Yeah. So, so with that established, uh, for us personally, it's, I, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't say it's as trying. It's, it's a lot of, a lot more complex. Uh, certainly it's a little bit more to navigate uh, than ever before. Um, you know, dealing with the medical testing and all of that, which again, fortunate to have access to, in all honesty, I, I, you know, in any other line of work, I don't know if I'd be traveling as much, but I also may not have access as, uh, as we were lucky enough to have. So, uh, I'm thankful for that. Um, I do think not being able to establish, you know, not now to get into the broadcast side of it, not being able to establish that personal connection that really makes this job special. Uh, it's certainly wonderful in its own right. You know, being able to commentate on sporting events is a, you know, it's a joke of a job. So I'm, I'm certainly thankful to be in position to have that, but you know, one of the great aspects of it is that personal connectivity and being able to establish relationships with people to, uh, kind of reignite relationships uh, that, that you've had in years past. You know, I, I got to cover Leonard Fournette when he was a high school player in New Orleans, Louisiana, and called one of his nationally televised games where he was spectacular. And I'd called a couple of his games at LSU. And now seeing him find a new home and, and some success in the NFL, I wanted to talk to him about that and, and catch up with him. I, uh, I talked to Taysom Hill the other day. And, you know, you do it on a phone call, which you might do during the year anyway, but – more often than not, you're in the same room and you're shaking hands. And uh, I had a text from Mac Brown, the former Texas head coach and now current North Carolina coach in, in college football and my former television partner. And he was re you know, reminiscing with me about having to face Taysom Hill, giving up 250 rushing yards in a collegiate game to BYU and Taysom Hill. So uh, I wanted to be able to talk to him about that because we got to have that conversation a few years back. So you miss out on those things. Uh, is it much harder? I, I don't personally think so. I, I truly am. You know, I'm not trying to play the humble card, but I'm truly grateful that we do get to do this and it's not overly taxing on us. But yeah, there are elements to it that are certainly strange, foreign. Uh, the no fans in most of these stadiums is eerie at times, but we also get distracted in the middle of games by the game itself. So we're still having a good time. So again, a lot, a lot worse situations that you could be in certainly a little more complex than it was years past. Yeah. Uh, over here, when COVID first started, sh sort of shut everything down, we have Andrew Coulter, who covers golf for our broadcasters. He posted somewhat viral videos of his, him commentating on what his dogs were doing for their That's breakfast, right. just to try and cover a loose end. I'm guessing you had quite a hectic schedule planned when the whole sporting world shut down. How, how did you manage to like bide your time until it was rebooted back up in July, August. Yeah, it's, uh, it's strange to try to navigate Netflix and PlayStation and see how much <laughs> one person can take from that, right? I, yeah. uh, 
I, th- I, I don't get me wrong. Things I certainly enjoy. I, <laughs> I, I, I certainly won't turn down a, a chance to play Warzone with my friends. But um, I, yeah, it was you know this. Every, everybody had to figure something out, and, and I was in the for again fortunate position to be able to be inside. You know, not associate with anybody unless uh, unless absolutely necessary, and FaceTime all you know a bunch of people that I hadn't connected with. There, I, I was able to find some silver linings in it, and I hope that's the case for for anybody else who's in the position to find some silver linings. But I shut down for the first time in a long time. You know, you you said it, Stu. I was ready to. I, I think yeah, I was in Texas for the American Conference Men's Basketball Tournament, and this is. Uh, in the lead up to eventually doing the NCAA women's tournament, all three weekends, including the final four, then going into Chicago, finishing up my Chicago bulls duties, then going right into the NBA playoffs for ESPN and ESPN radio. uh, And also calling some major league baseball games, then eventually the women's college world series. And then my contract was supposed to be up. So I had all this, uh, this work schedule planned and ready to go. And then all of a sudden, you know, for the first time in more than a decade, maybe 15 years, I didn't do anything for the span of about four months. And that was very strange, you know, actually closer to five months. So never really dealt with something like that or hadn't really dealt with something like that in a long time professionally, but it was nice personally, you know, again, in, in Adam, as you said, in the context of, of where I was at, it was nice to be able to shut down. I'd been going a hundred miles an hour for a long time and, in all honesty, it may have been uh, something important for, for me and maybe a lot of people to, to kind of prioritize some things and realize what was important. And, you know, hopefully that's the silver lining that some people walked away with. Yeah. Adam? Listening to you there, it, it struck me that from a cultural standpoint, you may not know this, but in the UK, our commentators do one sport. Mm-hmm. And if Martin Tyler, who is the lead commentator on soccer, popped up doing rugby there would be social media chaos how how does that um impact you and you know presumably there's there's a cadence and a toning issue from sport to sport and kind of clicking from one to the other must be quite difficult you you will have a preference one way or the other on a sport that you do but just take us a little bit behind that because it's such a unique thing for for a british audience to to imagine commentators going from one sport to another monday tuesday wednesday yeah, it's kind of interesting to think. We, we don't think about that oftentimes in America because for so long, uh, going back to the 1970s, you know, uh, broadcasters like Marv Albert, who was, you know, famous in the 1990s more than anything else for calling the NBA uh, for NBC and all those uh, Michael Jordan championships or most of those Michael Jordan championships. Uh, he was somebody who would do the, you know, he'd, on a Sunday, he would call a Giants football game followed by an afternoon New York Rangers game and then maybe a Knicks game at night and then go do the 11 PM sports on NBC. And, and it's just, uh, you know, we were always kind of taught that all the great, not all the great, I shouldn't say that there are plenty of, of single sport phenomenal hall of fame caliber commentators in particular in baseball. And I would say in basketball as well here in America, but uh, we, we kind of grew up with a lot of commentators who all did multiple sports uh, here in Chicago, you know, uh, even, even some of the local announcers for your, for our specific teams would go do national or regional television work for, for networks or do games on the radio or whatever it may have been. So when I first started doing this as a, as a focus for a potential career in college, I, I just did everything. Cause that's, I just assumed that's what you were supposed to do. So for me, it was trying to build a skill set that would function 
in a career setting in America, which was being able to do both television and radio, being able to call multiple sports and feeling comfortable uh, working just about year round. And not to say that that's what I want to do forever. That's part of the reason I went from a network like ESPN to, to go to Fox sports. I, it was an opportunity to narrow down my portfolio a little bit. I'd covered something like seven or eight sports consistently every year, every calendar year for ESPN and ESPN radio. And it was nice to be able to say the three sports that in particular, I'm a pro sports fan, professional sports fan, because I grew up in a city like Chicago where I'm currently at. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, a, a very provincial town that takes a lot of pride in its regionality, its city structure, and the teams that, that uh, occupy it. Whereas I never really got a feel for collegiate athletics. I enjoyed it thoroughly, college basketball, college softball, baseball, and, uh, and of course, calling college football games for a decade. Uh, it's a thrill. It's, it's wonderful theater, you know, and, and it's wonderful to be in those large-scale stadiums with all those fans who are so passionate. But uh, to me, I grew up on pro sports. I was a fan of the teams, and it was nice to be able to say I'd like to do just three sports now. And uh, you know, now calling NBA for the Chicago Bulls, calling NFL and Major League Baseball for Fox, it's kind of the, the situation I, I would hope to find myself in at some point. I'm thankful I get to do that now. But you're, you're right. It's, it's very common for a lot of announcers in this country, at least you know, when they have the opportunity to, to do uh, you know, two, three, sometimes four sports. Uh, so one of the first times, probably the first time I heard you put your name to the face was, was the Notre Dame title run a few years ago. Obviously, you didn't sit yeah. down in the, in the final four and then the finals go, I'm going to have a call in the next couple of hours, which will live on forever, basically. But when it came down to Ogbu Nawale and a reaction to how, you, how your call was perceived by people watching and listening at home, that must be a fun thing to live through and be reminded of ever so often, as, as I'm sure you are. I, you don't hope, obviously, and I think you, you kind of alluded to it as well, Stu. I, you don't hope to go into it thinking about that. You don't, you don't go into these jobs and into these events thinking about that. You go in just trying to, I, I was just trying not to get, you know, too nervous and, and trying not to mess it up. This was a big deal for me. This was a, a championship event, you know, calling the women's final four in, in America. It's collegiate athletics, final four, college basketball, men or women is a big deal. So I, I took that, that very seriously. And I was more nervous uh, for that as maybe anything I'd done in my career at ESPN at that point. So when we were, you know, I guess I guess handed these incredible games <laughs> you just you just let them happen and, and you react naturally and organically and one thing I'm proud of is that I felt that all four of us the three of us at the table myself Rebecca Lobo Carol Lawson and then Holly Rowe who's our excellent reporter I I was hoping that it would just feel organic throughout and it did and all the preparation and all the games that we had done all year leading up to that made it feel very natural for us. So when it happened, we just reacted organically and naturally. And I, I'm an exuberant announcer. I'm an exuberant person when I, I'm in that type of setting. And it's one of the reasons I love doing the job, which I'm sure a lot of announcers feel the same. Um, I just reacted the way I would typically react for anything else. And to have that moment and to not have screwed it up too badly. And then to have <laughs> another one, a couple of nights later for the championship itself. Uh, it, very, very cool. It, it's something you hope for as an announcer. At some point, you hope to have one moment like that. And I've been very, very lucky to be a part of a handful at, at various points in the last few years. I mean, it's amazing that she did it twice as well, isn't it? Like, and, and absolutely. Adam? So you go into a game this Sunday, uh, and, you know, before Daniel Jones limps off the field, 
the Giants, you know, potentially looking at, you know, they, they could win the division. And, you know, that, mm-hmm. that in itself, you know, adds a, a gravitas to it. Colt McCoy comes in and the game now looks like, a, a, you can't court say this, but we can say as a, as a Seahawks podcast, it's a bit more of a duck than it was maybe three or four days <laughs> sure. ago. Going into a game like that, presumably, does that have to change your preparation in the sense that, you know, you might have more kind of to fill because the game itself doesn't do the bro- take the broadcast away for you. Uh, you've got a relationship with your with your co-commentator, obviously. Um, do you kind of is there a nod going into that game like oh, we probably know what we're going to see today, and uh, the the onus might be on us to make this more entertaining than the, than the sixty minutes itself? Yeah, I would like to hope, and uh, you know, this is a subjective thing. I do hope that every game we do, we do bring that level of preparation. Mm-hmm. I do pride myself sure. on that. Mark does as well. But I think you're right when we go into a game knowing that it may be a little lopsided as we did this past Sunday in that Broncos saints game that, you know, the, the betting line had moved from something like six points to 14 in just a matter of hours. In fact, some of the sports books here in the United States took the game off the board because, you know, so it's such a unique circumstance. So we knew that that was a possibility and you always kind of prepare with the understanding that if it does become one of these games, you better be prepared so that you can fill that space and, and be aware of what's happening around the rest of the league, which is always good when we have the later, what we consider the later window uh, in, uh, in America on Sundays. Uh, games are already going on, you know, the three, four hours prior. So we want to make sure we're up to date on, you know, what, what are the Rams doing? What, you know, I know the 49ers are playing Monday night. You know, what's happening in the rest of the division because it affects Seattle? What's happening to the Saints and what's happening to the Packers? What's happening to those teams that are in the hunt? You know, we want to be able to, not shape the narrative because there's so much more to, you know, so much time left to go, but we want to be able to at least push the narrative forward as to what the stakes are each week and in each game. So we, we do keep that in mind as well. And yeah, we, we have some more stories. We have a little, uh, you know, a few discussion pieces. Uh, One of, one of the things I just emailed uh, our television crew before uh, we all started chatting was uh, can the Seahawks have a Kansas city like, defensive resurgence in the second half this year in the, in the final stretch this year, the way the chiefs did a year ago. And that certainly helped propel them to the point where they were uh, good enough on both sides of the ball to win a super bowl. So that's a discussion that I bring up on a Tuesday and, you know, if some emails start going back and forth or some texts go, start going back and forth. Oh, I like that. Hey, do we have a stat to back this concept up? Do we have uh, pictures for this story that we, we, we may want to tell we do a lot of that uh, heavy lifting early in the week and a lot of the heavy lifting for the, tr- for the game itself, I think for me and, uh, and for Mark and, and Lindsay and our crew uh, takes place later in the week where we get to talk with coaches, talk with players, uh, all the previews come out for the games, you know, articles are written closer to, to Sunday. So we start to absorb all of that information and figure out how to organize it in, poten- in, the, in the potential case of disseminating it. Uh, so yeah, this weekend is the second game you'd cover for the Seahawks. It was obviously supposed to be the third before mm-hmm. COVID affected your travel plans and our body clocks when the Cardinals road game was flexed out to mm-hmm. football six, seven weeks. Right. <laughs> but the one game you called of ours this year was the opener in Atlanta. It was the beginning of what we thought was the beginning of a new phase of this offense for Russell Wilson and obviously the start of this DK Metcalf ascension. It, it, this must be a, a fun offense to prep and especially with someone like DK watch on a Sunday in the booth. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Mark and I were texting while we were watching 
uh, the game last night. By the way, so we were another twist. Uh, we weren't even supposed. We weren't initially on this game uh, for this week, Seattle and, and New York. We were originally on Pittsburgh and Washington. And then with all the drama of the Pittsburgh-Baltimore game and then the Baltimore-Dallas game and then in turn the Pittsburgh-Washington game all being pushed, uh, it was early enough in the week where it was, it's no, not a big issue at all. Uh, you know, the, that's going to be a prime time or, or close to prime time in America game on Fox. And with Joe Buck and the number one crew calling the Tuesday game between Baltimore and Dallas – uh, the number two team of Kevin Burkhardt, Daryl Johnston, they'll slide in and do the, the, the Monday afternoon, you know, late evening, early primetime window, which makes all the sense in the world in terms of how, you know, our crews are, are disseminated games. So it, this, at least this time, it wasn't on Thursday the way that it was uh, <laughs> the last time when we suddenly got flexed over to Las Vegas, Tampa Bay, the last game, which I'm fully convinced I blame Las Vegas for uh, the potential COVID uh, contraction at that point. But uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, speaking of this offense, it's watching it last night, Mark and I are texting and just talking about how good Chris Carson is and how much his uh, re-addition to the roster propels them and balances them and makes things even easier for Russell Wilson when the defense is playing a little bit softer to find DK Metcalf in some of these uh, more intermediate, short and intermediate over the middle type routes, uh, you know, these high movement routes that maybe get him to the outside when the defense is a little bit softer, DK can operate more and make those moves and use his strength and size and space creating uh, body to get open for Russell Wilson. And this has actually been a year where Russell's on target percentage on his throws is a little bit lower than league average so uh, I know that's a little bit of a surprise because he's always been a fairly accurate QB but also part of that is going to come with taking more deep shots with being on the run a little bit more that's one thing that we've seen again which has been a constant in Russell's career a lot of scramble plays that are originally designed as pass plays he's had the second most in the league this year behind Deshaun Watson a lot of that having to do with the offensive line but to have this balance with Carson to create more lanes for Metcalf. I think it only makes this offense scarier right now. It's probably number one or number two, I think offensively in the NFC because Drew Brees is hurt uh, for the saints right now. If Drew Brees is healthy with the way their defense has played one of the best in the league, I think new Orleans is probably the best team in this conference, but the current state where the defense has played better and the offense has, taken up more space, been on the field a little bit more. Uh, Metcalf is as sustained drives. Having Carson back will only help you sustain drives. I think this is an offense that is, you know, all world caliber right now, uh, considering. Now, I know they had struggles last night. I understand that, uh, watching them against Philadelphia. But Philadelphia's defense has not been the issue this year. Their offense is, is absolutely dreadful. So, uh, I, I, I have some respect for the Philadelphia defense and, and Jim Schwartz in particular uh, against good running backs and good quarterbacks. They've been okay this year. So I don't think that game last night was an indication of, uh, of everything, but I do think the Seattle offense is one to be reckoned with. Adam? Mark's not listening to this, so we can go ahead and call you the star of the show in, in the booth. <laughs> it's fine, don't worry. But if we were going to give, if we were going to give Robin to your Batman a bit of credit, something that amazes me about color commentators, and obviously I don't I mean no disrespect to Mark, he's an amazing broadcaster. When they can just see a play and in three seconds diagnose, well, this guard has done that, or that receiver has done that. Um, obviously, you 
focus more on kind of saying what's happening and they'll focus on the analysis. It leaves me dumbfounded how quickly they're able to pick, you know, pick something up that would take me kind of 10 looks to see. <laughs> Does that, is, is that just the advanced researchers coming in or is there stuff? Have you got 27,000 screens going on? I just don't understand how he does it. Uh, it it's, it's one of the truly unique skill sets, I think, uh, is to be a translator of mm -hmm. this information, right? Mm -hmm. To see something visually that is fairly complex, that is created of several simple movements that create something much complex. The simple movements are where you go, what step do you take, uh, which side, you know, do you step with your left or your right foot? Do you step back fully or take a half step back? Do you angle this way or angle this way? These are all simple movements that create very complex structures and schemes. And that's the, you know, Madden play call sheet that you, that you pick when you, you know, hit the button to play, pick that play. By the way, that's the only way I ever have an opportunity <laughs> to do things like that is strictly in, in video game form. But I, I, seeing all those simple movements create something so complex and then to translate all of that all the way back down and break it down into the one thing that you feel was most important in that play or one or two things sometimes when we have more time to show these replays that, you know, our, our technical crew does a spectacular job of showing. Uh, it, it's fascinating. It's a, it's a truly unique skill set. And then to be able to do it in a fashion that is, uh, you know, easily to, uh, easy to process, it's uh, consumable, and it's, uh, it doesn't take away from the enjoyment of the game because that's all we're doing. It's just a game. Mm. Uh, that's, a, that's a unique skill set. And, and in that sense, my job is far easier than, you know, and I think play-by-play -play in, in particular is far easier in that case than uh, analysis. Mm. I'm glad I don't have to take all of that information and try to break it down. For me, it's more about reacting to what happens and, being, and, and trying to support it with uh, information, whether it's information right at my fingertips, like how many yards was that run? Uh, which player was it? Uh, what, you know, who made the tackle simple, you know, simple and easily visible, visible things like that, or into more anecdotal or advanced statistical information, uh, to try to set things up that, you know, for, for the audience to have an understanding of it. These are, these are, I will say, I don't think our job is rocket science, but I do think it's a unique skill set to have. And, yeah. and it's easy to do it okay. I don't think it's that hard to do in an okay fashion, in a passable fashion. I think it's a very difficult job to do very well and very efficiently and do it very consistently in those manners. Yeah. When we see people the, like, so like Gary Neville over here, don't we? I don't know. He seems to, he's made the step from player to broadcaster while mm. he just, we kind of learn every time he speaks. Uh, now, Adam, on this very, very niche pod last year, repeatedly, I said that I thought you and your Thursday night football college crew should be in the reckoning for the Monday night football crew when that was a topic of discussion. How fun was that working? I mean, you, you went to some wild places with uh, Molly McGrath, the wild man, which is Pat McAfee, and obviously a Seahawks legend, a Seahawks icon, and without Russell Wilson, leads all... Seahawks passing stats in Matt Hasselbeck. That must have been a lot of fun, particularly with the wild man. Uh, indeed, it was. Uh, Molly is a close friend of mine for many years. We've worked together on multiple football crews now. Uh, Matt, I had always been a fan of. I'd always heard wonderful things about him. I th uh, on the rare occasions that he did call games, uh, I would always tune in. It would typically be a Thursday game while I was preparing for a Friday or a Saturday, so I'd watch their game, and I always thought he, he and Tim both – 
were very good and very entertaining. I, I love their dynamic. And I only knew so much about Pat McAfee <laughs> before I heard every raging wild story before every incredible first impression before uh, every review of any stand-up act that he would pop up and do in <laughs> Indianapolis. Uh, I was thoroughly intimidated by, uh, by, by Pat and uh, for no reason other than his reputation had preceded him. And uh, to find out that he is uh, just an absolute sweet, sweetheart of a human being and uh, as kind as they come and, and entertaining and energetic and uh, too much to handle for some people, I'm sure. Uh, but for, for those who, who understand where he's coming from and see how relatable he happens to be for what I consider to be in this profession, a superstar. Uh, and I mean that by recognition, when we go anywhere, uh, we'd go anywhere on these college campuses last year. I mean, there was a swath of, of, you know, 18 to 23 year old, uh, young men and, and women who just knew who he was and were fans of him and, uh, thought he was the coolest person around and, and had, uh, no desire other than to take a selfie with him and tell him how wonderful he is because he has that <laughs> impact on people. And he handles it with such grace and class. And he's just as kind as they can be. And he's also one of the savviest people I've ever met. He is truly a, a, I, I don't think Savant does him justice. I don't think that, that it's random that he just knows things. It's, he's a really smart individual and uh, a tremendously media savvy human being, business savvy human being. And uh, I'm, I'm as big a fan of his as, uh, as anybody I've worked with. We had an absolute blast. We became very close friends. I still talk to all three on a frequent basis and uh, I'm thankful to have them as uh, as good, good, good close friends and uh, happy to see uh, what they do professionally as well. Skyrocket. I mean, he's he's in, he's on a WWE pay per view in yeah. about two or three weeks, actually wrestling, which is just he's he's insane. I do, how wasn't that shocking? Like I, the way I mean, he acclimated himself he's to so good that world so quickly, and the yeah. athleticism he showed in the match that he wrestled was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I, the guy, he's that's why it's not he's he's just this way. He's just he's fearless. He's very confident. It's the only thing in WWE I've watched this year I think his <laughs> first match and all of his promos um you, you said you're based in Chicago you grew up in Chicago around a pretty cool time in not just Chicago sports but worldwide sports obviously it's a period which which was prominent through the first lockdown we had uh, what was that like and now when the season reboots at Christmas or whatever it is in the NBA you're going to be calling games for the Chicago Bulls as well I mean that must have been a bucket list thing but uh, uh, how firstly how was that growing up with the Jordan Bulls and, and another bucket listing of calling their games in 2021 and and beyond it's uh, a full circle type of moment I think for 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 me personally and very again very fortunate for that it's uh I was thankful that when they even asked to to have me fill in a couple times a year and uh, I got to do that for a couple of seasons and thankful obviously for that because you get to build rapport with the people who you may be working with in a lot uh, on, a, on a much more frequent basis. I got to build a rapport working with Stacy King, uh, who is a bulls legend and, and beloved in this city for both his playing days and for his commentating and, and uh, just another grizzly bear uh, looking guy who would be intimidating if you didn't know him. And then you realize he's just a teddy bear and he's just a sweetheart and uh, an amazing person. And, and, 
uh, a great friend, you know, somebody who made me feel very comfortable right out of the gate. And again, it's a full circle thing. I grew up watching Stacy uh, as a kid on television and to now not just call him a partner, but call him a friend and, and to be, uh, you know, get, getting to be work, working together on a consistent basis and just, uh, you know, in a week plus his time, uh, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, I think going back to how the connectivity began, it's, you know, it, when, when you have a winner in a town, everybody gravitates to it. You know, it, it's a uniting factor in this city. I think during the nineties, that was a uniting thing in this city. Everybody in the city gravitated towards the bulls. And I think the other thing that people forget, and I've forgotten this too, and I've lived here most of my life, the bulls have the biggest fan base of any team in this city. And that's not just because of the city. Obviously that's a big part of it because of people like me and, and everybody older than me who grew up watching these championship level teams but this is a worldwide brand and those Jordan years are a, are a wonderful reflection of that. I think a lot of people during the lockdown had an opportunity to watch the last dance and still probably do. I think it's still on online. Uh, they really under really dove deep into understanding why this was such a global phenomenon and, and Jordan being at the forefront of that to go into Barcelona during the 92 Olympics and to have a massive billboard, uh, you know, a dozen, dozen or so stories, maybe bigger than that, have his image on it, uh, you know, to, to the tune of what, you know, footballers like Ronaldo and Messi deal with now, uh, you know, that level of fame, uh, it's, it's wild. And that's why it's such an incredible organization to be a part of. And, and you know, that's, that's without adding the personal as, uh, aspects of, of my connectivity to it. Yeah, Adam? Conscious that we've kept you for a couple of minutes longer than you said. So just quickly, you you nodded uh, at names like Martin Tyler and Gary Neville. So maybe you've got a bit of a an affinity with uh, British sports, or whatever. Have you been over here before and, and travelled over here? And uh, dare we ask if you've got a soccer team over here that you root for? <laughs> <laughs> Could make or break the whole thing. Adam, I'm not going to lie. It's you know I don't think you have to worry too much about that. I uh, I, I have a, a, f- a certain fondness for Arlo White. Uh, you know as as he has a fondness for for us in Chicago as well, being a fan of some of our teams. But uh, I'm a huge fan of Arlo. Uh, I, I message with him now as a as fellow announcers, which is kind of a shock and uh, just a, a real <laughs> a real cherry on top of the uh, ice cream sundae that that is this uh, this fraternity. Uh, I, I get to ask him about what it's like to be on Ted Lasso and, and things of that nature. And uh, I don't have a football team uh, that I, that I am perfectly loyal to. I think my experience is playing FIFA and uh, just being drafted onto whatever uh, premier league team uh, will have me and uh, my terrible likeness uh, with no athleticism. Uh, I just, I just kind of gravitate towards that. I enjoy the sport. I enjoy watching premier league soccer. I, I, was fascinated by you know Maradona watching his HBO documentary another thing by the way that that bonded McAfee and I uh he and I both watched that Maradona documentary multiple times I was fascinated by this man's life uh in the lead up to you know his 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 last several years but uh he and I both bonded over that so I I find the sports history more and more fascinating as I get older and more exposed to it so uh, I don't I don't show any allegiance because I don't have any but uh I do enjoy uh, being able to dip my toe in the waters of it. Well, whenever whenever your trips, travels, work maybe brings you over here, make sure to hit us up and we'll be sure to write the red carpet and look after you. Maybe for a Seahawks game at uh, Adams Tottenham Hotspur Stadium next October. Yeah, I thought that would be wonderful. 
when you said Arlo, I thought you were going on the Arsenal route. <laughs> so, thankfully, you saved yourself at the last minute, Adam. Uh, so I, 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 I fear if it was if it was any type of uh, Liverpool Manchester rivalry or any type of uh, United or City rivalry, I was scared I'd walk into something like that. <laughs> it's all right, don't worry. <clears throat> Uh, so, uh, just to wrap up uh, weirdly we seem to ask our American guests uh, a food question Adam is a caterer by trade and uh, we've had several uh, we had a Madre Harper who's actually on the Giants dis- yes uh, does not like he was my favourite player in the draft last year we had him on the podcast and he does not like coconut which is a weird thing um, but so obviously Thanksgiving was last week and I mean What's your take on Thanksgiving? Obviously, what is a uh, controversial food thing that you hold dear that no one else agrees with? Hmm. Uh, I've got a question I, I, that I can ask you. I'm fascinated what you put on your hot dog because Chicago, that is uh, quite, a big, quite a big deal over there. I'll address both of those. I think I think there's some connectivity <laughs> to both. Uh, for for uh, well, with for, with Thanksgiving last week, uh, so I grew up without Thanksgiving, you know, my parents are, are Pakistani immigrants and, and came to this country in, in the late seventies and mid eighties. So I, they didn't, I didn't understand what Thanksgiving was. I just knew it was time off from, from school. So I was happy about that. It was a few extra days for me to, to sit at home in front of the television. So I had no problem with it. Um, and then as I got older and realized, you know, when in college you go home for a week and you're just kind of sitting around at home, not much, not much to do. And, one of my closest friends from high school said, Hey, you should come over and have Thanksgiving with my family. We'd love to have you. So I said, sure. Yeah, I got nothing going on. So I went over for my first Thanksgiving when I was 19 years old and realized that you know, I, I always knew what the food, you know, Oh, you eat Turkey and everybody has a favorite food. I, I never understood it. Not, not had no context for it uh, in a first person perspective until I was, I was almost an adult. So uh, I grew to love it because of, Oh, it's just the holiday where everybody eats a ton of food and everybody's <laughs> thankful for something. Great. So it works out great. So I, I gravitated towards it. I I'll fill my plate. I think strawberry pretzel salad is, um, is a that? food item that not a lot of people know what it is. It's not, it's, it's, there's no salad in it. It's, it's pretzels, uh, crushed together, uh, some kind of bonding, uh, food. So oftentimes caramel, uh, will do, uh, you can add some chocolate into it. Uh, cream, and a strawberry puree that's mixed into it with, and, and it's kind of created into almost a cake-like uh, uh, entity. So it's delicious. It's crunchy. It's salty. It's sweet. Uh, people that like that's a that's a as controversial of a Thanksgiving take, uh, food-wise <laughs> as I can have. Adam, to your hot dog point, uh, again being from Chicago, I my parents owned a fast food restaurant for a while, so I cooked a lot of cooked and created and assembled and and distributed a lot of Chicago-style hot dogs. So. For me, the ultimate hot dog for me has always been a Chicago-style hot dog. That's uh, it's very specific. You gents may know it, but it's uh, a a lot. Of, it's the gar- It's a garden hot dog, basically. It's mm-hmm. a, a all beef Chicago hot dog, um, wedge of tomato, diced onions, uh, bright green relish, mu- uh, sliver of mustard, never ketchup, <laughs> uh, celery salt, uh, pickles, and sport peppers. And it's a full, it's a, it's been dragged through the garden and it's, and it's delicious. And it's how they've always done it in Chicago for as many years as I can remember. And, uh, I, I think it's still the superior hot dog of all. <laughs> no, well, in uh, your well, honor, I might have to, uh, whiz one of those up on, <laughs> on watching the game. 
Uh, also, one more free thing. When you are over here, or if you are, are, are ever over here, we'll have to introduce you to Vianetta, which is a tweet I saw from you in this, this uh, ice yes. cream, which you had no idea of, and it seemed to catch a bit of virality. But Vianetta was a staple at my grandma's house when I was a kid growing up for Sunday lunch. They tried to bring it into America as like, I remember the, the commercials for it, and it was like... They, they, put a, they put it in a glass and everybody's wearing like fancy gloves and tuxedos and dresses and they were trying to really class it up. <laughs> I, I didn't understand what it was. I just, I was like, all right, whatever that is. And then somebody brought it to my attention. It looks delicious. Yeah. Why wouldn't anybody not want it? Why would anybody not want to consume this? Yeah. Perhaps in one sitting, which I think I'd be capable of doing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, massively appreciate you taking the time to jump on and talk to us two uh, fools. Um, and have a safe trip out to... Seattle and obviously if you want to give a shout out to us or say something you think is the most British thing we say we will be listening because we pay attention <laughs> when it's a Seahawks game just to try and distract from three and out after three and out and also next time we speak to Matt tell, us that, tell him that a UK guy said hi and there's a third mic open for him anytime he wants as well absolutely will and uh, where, looking forward can, to calling the game on Sunday where can people find you Adam if they want to uh, catch up with your stuff uh, at Adam Amin on Twitter, that's the easiest, most accessible way to say terrible things to be at the Seahawks. <laughs> well, thanks, Adam. Thank you, gentlemen. In the red zone today, no center fielder. Wilson touch pass to Baldwin. Touchdown, Seattle! Beautiful touch from Russell Wilson, and the Seahawks have their first lead today. And he's hit. He lost the football. And the Seahawks recover. Frank Clark scoops up the football. And it's the first turnover today forced by the Seattle D. And here's McKissick. Throws it back to Wilson. Trying to set up deep for Richardson. Collins is back. Richardson. Who's got it? A fight for it in the end zone. And there's no signal. And now it's a touchdown. Richardson comes away with it. Amazing. Wilson to the end zone to Graham for the touchdown. Third touchdown today for Russell Wilson. So massive, massive thanks to Adam for jumping on. And as I say, we'll be calling the game on Sunday evening. And that game we're going to preview quickly now. Now we've had highly heralded guests who are the ESPN analysts, Super Bowl champions, so I just called them one of my mates. Ben, welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast. How are we, sir? Yeah, I'm not too bad. You could have, could have picked me up a little bit more there, but <laughs> yeah, what you said about you before we were recording. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, you are a rep- NYG representative. How did you get into the sport, and how are you enjoying uh, the 2020 season in particular? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it took me a while to get into it, if I'm honest. It was, uh, I, I, I spent quite a lot of time being completely against NFL and then and then sort of slowly slowly fell in love with it and then picked a team that I thought I was um I was likely to be able to to go to America and watch so I thought it was a more viable option than than picking somewhere that was you know in the in the middle end of the middle of nowhere but didn't really realize I was picking literally the worst team in the NFL <laughs> <laughs> um I didn't really get that pointed out to me at the time so it's been interesting. Um, 2020 season, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'll, as Seattle fans, will, will laugh. It's 
it's been easily the most enjoyable season that I've followed <laughs> the sport. And, and they're sat on four and seven. Um, it's the first time I've ever watched the team I support win three games in a row. Because um, I started, started following in the end of 20, at the start of 2017. And this is the first time they've done that since 2016. Um, I've never seen us above 500 at any point. So it's apart from that, it's just good fun, isn't it? Just yeah. a nice extra. <laughs> it's a nice extra hobby to be disappointed at at the weekend. <laughs> but yeah, you're, uh, you are a Wolves fan, so it's weird that their ascension is matched with the 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 opposite direction for the Giants after two Super Bowls and the only part of the the century, Ben. Yeah, well, I thought that you know it was was almost getting too enjoyable watching <laughs> w- watching one team. So I thought, let's pick a team that just increases my misery on, <laughs> on a weekly basis. And and yeah, I've, I've picked perfectly in that sense. <laughs> Adam? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be frustrating that, you know, two drafts in a row, you know, that, or, well, not the, the last draft, but you, know, you pick Daniel Jones, you pick Saquon Barkley, you've got, you've got players that you think, right, well, these are hopefully going to be franchise-defining players. And ultimately, I think, history will show that taking running backs in the first five picks is, is seldom a good idea. Um, and perhaps it wasn't the greatest choice for quarterback with Daniel Jones, albeit he has shown flashes, but I think you'd be hard pushed to suggest a future hall of fame type player. But, you know, how does that feel as, as, as a Giants fan, you know, looking at the future of the team and where they're going to go with this and uh, the new head coach? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the Barkley pick was, was just bad process really. Um, like you say, he's, you know, a, a brilliant player, but it's it's just not the pick that that should have been taken at that point. I'd, um, I've got no issue with them not taking any of the quarterbacks in that draft. To be honest, you know, with the exception of Lamar, but again, we don't know what that that second contract even looks like. I'd, I don't know how you analyse that as a second contract. Mm. Josh Allen's obviously looked a lot better this season, but I think if we'd have picked him at two then Gettleman would have been slaughtered picking Josh Allen at two. So, I mean, the only, what, what he should have done was trade down, which he, he didn't and notoriously doesn't look like he's, he's willing to do that. So that, that was a difficult one. Um, that, that 2019 draft with three first round picks, when you come out with Jones, Dexter Lawrence and, um, the Kansas City Chiefs practice squad cornerback DeAndre Baker. <laughs> um, uh, do you know what I've? We'll, we'll get onto Jones in more detail, I'm sure, but I'm not that against the pick. I don't think. I think you. I think if you've got a pick in those positions, you should always take a swing at a quarterback that you like. Um, so I, I haven't got a massive issue with if it doesn't turn out to be a 15-year quarterback, then you're probably going to have a pick where you can take another one. I just think you should always swing at a quarterback that you rate. I've got no issue with them taking at six rather than 17 because I'm I'm still convinced that someone takes, that probably Denver would have taken him before we had that second pick anyway. So I I haven't got a massive issue. I don't like taking a defensive tackle at 17, which he did in that draft, but that's just what Dave Gettleman just loves his big interior defensive lineman. So... (laughs) Uh, so we talk quite often through Sundays and Danny Dimes is often the, the comment which comes from, from your phone to mine. I mean, he's he's been a meme. He's been the best player in his division, which obviously has got quite a hefty asterisk and context required for it. But 
he like he's he's shown signs of life, but then he turns the ball over in just a back breaking way. It's just just do you think that the coaching is something you can coach out of it? And if these coaches you've got in New York can do it, or do you think it's just gonna be something you he's gonna be like a guns like Philip Rivers S gunslinger where you're gonna have to take the two interceptions, but you can get two three fifty and three touchdowns as well. Yeah, I mean, the main issue at the start of this season was that the the touchdowns weren't there either. Um, I think, I th- which which isn't it's not a great combination when there's turnovers and no touchdowns. Uh, I think a lot of that was schematic. To be honest, uh, there was no no um, off season new offensive coordinator came in, and and Garrett's pretty conservative in his in his play calling at the best of times. Anyway, it has opened up a little bit more. Um, I mean. That Tampa Bay game on Monday Night Football was it. It looks hopefully like that was the sort of bottoming out process of of Daniel Jones as a quarterback because I I came out of that game thinking that we're definitely going to need to draft another quarterback and then in the last two and a half games obviously it came out early on on Sunday they've been his his best that's his best ten quarter stretch of his of his career I mean against against Philadelphia he was almost perfect really made all the throws, like the difficult throws as well, when you you're talking outside the outside the marks and his deep throw percentage, um Boldinger put some out on Twitter today that his his deep ball percentage is the best in the NFL since he came in, which I'm not sure how that's how that's happened, but <laughs> and and they are incorporating more of this of this running game in as well, which is which is keeping defenders, which is keeping defenses honest as well. So, I've I've not completely given up on him to be honest. I think the last two weeks have so, have shown what he can be. It feels a little bit like that run against Philadelphia that ended with him tripping over his own feet is kind of uh, a seven second uh, microcosm of the whole season for him, really. Where you know it starts off what's what's going to happen and bloody hell, this looks good, and then all of a sudden there's a stumble which leaves you kind of wondering what might happen next. Presumably, it's a bit frustrating. You're not going to get, in all likelihood, the best of him in the last five games, where you could really make a judgment on, yeah, you know, what have we got here? Because um, you could, let's assume he's not going to. You know, I don't know how, the, how bad his hamstring injury is, but for a guy that requires on his legs quite a lot, it might be difficult to see him playing properly for the rest of the way. And really, you didn't want to go into the off season still not really knowing what you had. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> slightly changing the subject. The Philadelphia run was, you know, if it, it was an eighty-yard run that we scored a touchdown off. Yeah, in, on the next play. Um, but I personally think we've that they've probably seen enough in the last three weeks that you wouldn't even be considering. I, I would have been seriously considering a quarterback before this stretch. Mm-hmm. I don't think you would now um, because he's proven that with the offensive line improving as well. Um that that there's something there and that he can he can win games. Um I mean against against the Bengals, considering, you know, it's the Bengals, but he was he was probably on for I think he came off at the start of the third quarter and he was on two hundred and twenty yards. Mm-hmm. And he was and we were, you know, marching down the field again at the at the twenty two, I think, when he came off. Um so that was that was probably another seven that was going on the board there. Um, you know, I'm talking like we've got the best red zone. Of <laughs> <laughs> we've won three in a row. Give me a break. Um, but I mean, the, the next passing play was 
a completed pass for minus nine yards with Colt McCoy. So <laughs> we, we were definitely going, it was definitely more positive with, with Daniel Jones understand that. But I don't think they'll be, I don't think they'll be even looking at quarterbacks now. No. I, I do think he, he's shown enough. Uh, on the other side of the field, uh, the New York Giants defense might actually be a thing. We love Leonard Williams is just mauling up the front and, Someone you said about a month ago should be defensive player of the year in James Bradbury. Um, but like the defense, I mean, it's the best in that division, again, in context of the division, but it's, 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 it's on the ascension, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think it, might, it might just be good, which is <laughs> <laughs> it's quite weird to say. I mean, we had uh, James Betcher for the last, last two seasons and it was just sort of like just waiting for the, the breakdown on the back end and a and an 80-yard touchdown. I think in the first 11 games, I think they've probably had maybe like two or three. We just don't really give away that many big plays. Um, you mentioned Bradbury to me. I haven't seen a better corner, with the exception of Jalen Ramsey in, in the NFL this season. Um, I mean, even the even I was at Yeardham that we bought in off waivers from Denver has improved in recent weeks. And then the safeties, like Jabril Peppers is playing like out of his skin. As as well as I've ever seen him play, Logan Ryan is playing like a like a first team All Pro. He's been so good the last couple of weeks. Um, if if we had any type of edge presence at all, then like I'd be I'd be fairly confident that the that the defense can do really good things. But we, you know, beggars can't be choosers. You look at the the actual personnel on that on that side of the ball. It's it's not particularly great, but what they're scheming up is, is quite impressive and they've had, you know, really good results. Yeah, and also you've got one of my favourite players, the former podcast guest, Emma Dre Harper, on your special teams, forcing fumbles and recovering fumbles as well. Um, Adam, anything for the Giants Sunday? No, I mean, the, you know, going into the second half of that game against, um, against the Bengals, you're probably thinking, bloody hell, the division could be there for us. And then obviously the quarterback gets hurt. Um, Washington probably looked the strongest team in the division with Jones out. Um, what, what's the view on this game going into Seattle against probably, you know, a fairly heavy favorite now the Seahawks with, you know, against Colt McCoy. Um, but, you know, that one win, even a tie yeah, in, in that division could, uh, could, could be absolutely monumental. Oh, I don't want another one of them. <laughs> I, I said to you earlier, um, you know, watching watching last night's game, watching watching your guys against the Eagles, I became sort of more and more frustrated about the Jones injury because mm-hmm. I, I really think with with Jones in there, I thought that we've got a, a decent chance, um, which just seems absolutely crazy. It's just not something that I would have even considered probably a month ago. Um, but that that's the way they're playing. They're moving the ball quite well on the ground and in the air, um, and and the defensive have sort of frazzled a lot of quarterbacks this season that we haven't played any one of the like of the, the talent of Russ to be fair but I'm pretty confident they'll be able to do a good job without without Jones you know McCoy's going to have a week but it's still still Colt McCoy <laughs> so it's, it, you know it it's a bit of a it's a bit of a killer but if he was going to miss one game then you would probably circle this one and then say that that there's a better chance of us beating the Cardinals or or the Browns in that back stretch, and then we're going to need to beat the Cowboys in Week 17 anyway. 
I think six wins probably does it. Um, which, which is just ridiculous, isn't it? Um, speaking, to, speaking to fans of a team in the West where probably 10 wins won't even get you in. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's going to be six or I think seven will guarantee it. And I think that's what, I think that's what the Giants are, to be honest. I think they're a seven and nine team that have lost a couple of games they shouldn't have. Um, I think if, if they should have, they should have beat Philly in the first game and should have beat Dallas when they played them. And if that had happened, they'd be what they'd be uh, six and five, which I think is about where they are um, in comparison to the division They're I think they're by far the best team in the East when, when Jones is fit. Um, but it's, it's a big ask with, with a backup quarterback as well. So what's your confidence and ahead of Sunday? Obviously, you won the game a couple of weeks ago. We're in a, we're in a dynasty uh, start-up draft and you seem to be thoroughly enjoying the win a couple of weeks ago and the hangover was mighty from all accounts. Um, is that going to be a similar thing you're going to be experiencing uh, next Monday? Oh, if, if they do win, then it's going to be a different level of hangover. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think she'll probably have to delete his phone put it on the drain. <laughs> I'll find a, find a little pigeon to fly over. <laughs> and, um, my confidence level isn't with, to be honest, as I've said with Jones, I'd, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't say I'd be confident, but I'd fancy us to, to keep it competitive into the fourth quarter. Um, the, the, because, because of the way the defense has played. Um, and we've moved the ball pretty well uh, in the last in the last couple of weeks. And you know, with the exception of the Bengals, like the the Philly front and and the Washington front are both are both pretty good. It's they're not complete pushovers on on that side of the ball. The, but I think with with a backup quarterback, it's it's going to be a long day. And I think unless they unless they can just maintain drives almost exclusively on the ground. Um, because Gorman's playing so well, just runs so hard. You know, he's he's got touchdowns the last five games now as well. So basically, if we get into the within the ten, we'll just be handing the ball off to him four <laughs> times, and hopefully he gets the yards. But yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to keep up really, and without without Jones, Adam, it's it it it. Well, we talked last week about the Philly game being a bit of a trap game on the road, a, an offense. Apparently, trying to prove a point, which obviously they just completely was everything with Wentz. As Greg Rose entirely just doesn't seem to throw anything. The the point was missed on that. But with Jones, it felt like another trap game. Without Jones, it's kind of just just get to midnight Monday, Sunday night, Monday morning with a win, and hope everyone is uh, all limbs attached to the right ligaments. Yeah, I, I don't envisage the Seahawks playing that well on offense, but I fancy a couple of back-breaking turnovers from McCoy um, just because, you know, he's not played for long enough. The Seahawks defense individually are stepping up and doing fairly well. So I've got 30, 30 to 13 uh, as my as my prediction with probably a couple of those touchdowns coming off, uh, off turnovers. Yeah, I think that's 33... 13, 33, 16 with you, the, the Scottish kicker uh, Gano going ham on Sunday, I think. I, I, I think it'd been a close game, to be honest. I think Daniel Jones yeah. kind of, we kind of saw with Kyler Murray the first time where a somewhat mobile quarterback can do 
this defense with with some issues, even at this stage of the season and with the record even they have. Well, even Wentz when he ran, got out of the pocket yeah. moderately well. Yeah. So, but with, with Colt McCoy, as, as Ben said, it's it's Colt McCoy and the run game. Our run defense has been ridiculously good, bar two and a half weeks at the minute. Mm. I wouldn't completely rule Jones out I, uh, really? until it until it's done. I wouldn't be completely ruling it out. In, I mean, at Duke, he came back after clavicle surgery that they ruled him out for two months in three weeks. Um, oh, so it's, oh, so it's a bit like Ferguson injury specs, isn't it? But judge, judge is Belichick, isn't he? So it's, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's absolutely nothing is said, nothing given, nothing done. Um, I think oh, if you was to give me percentage, I'd probably say that it's like a thirty percent chance of him playing. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be at a zero at this point. Um, but I think even if he does play, he's not going to have the the sort of zone reads and stuff that, that mm. make the offence move as well as it has in recent weeks. So it won't be a fully mobile Jones, even if it is a Jones. <laughs> uh, yeah, concise. Uh, right, just before we wrap up this extra long pod, should you have a spin in the bin? I've prepped Ben have for it as well. To. have to. Well, I'm going to get going. Adam Gase um, seems to be unaware that people know who offensive coordinators are, defensive coordinators are, assistant managers are, goalkeepers are, linebackers are. Like every every aspect of that is known, and he's just an awful, awful coach, liar, presence in the league. It's just, I mean, it's pathetic. Like it's funny watching it because he's not our coach, but it's pathetic. Like, how is he outlasting Patricia O'Brien, Quinn? I mean, what has he got? I know Willie Johnson's over here doing, I don't know what, but, like, come on, man. Well, he's guaranteeing the tank, isn't he? I mean, he, he's a safer bet that they've got. Forget, you know, Jacksonville can't beat a drum, and the last thing you want is maybe to stack your coach and get a bounce, and, uh, you know, on points differential, you end up not being able to take... If you're going to get... If you're going to do it, make sure you get Trevor Lawrence out of it. But, I mean... <laughs> I'm, I'm on record of saying that Gay should have been fired in the press conference when he did the eyes, because that was weird enough to know that this is this man is not is not normal. Yeah. Um, you know, this isn't right for for what a human being should be doing. But um, yeah, I mean, look, the worst thing the Jets can do now is win two games. So uh, to be honest, as, as depressing as that sounds, they might as well just stick with the clown. Well, it'd be it'd probably be Greg Williams, wouldn't they? That they'd put in oh. interim, and it'll just break someone's head off and. But they'd end up winning one game, like seven three or something. Yeah, <laughs> the Patriots would let them win. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, just, just keep it. Just hold your nose and and wait for a few weeks. It's embarrassing, but yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. imagine Bill Belichick pulling that off. That'd be the highest <laughs> century. Like, but someone this off season is going to hire uh, the Chiefs OC without any thought, just to try and get some positive PR, aren't they? He'll go to Detroit, I think, and the Eric Bien. Yeah, I think I think you'll that's where he'll go as well. Uh, Adam, Ben? Yeah, Ben, uh, the Monday Night Football crew have been in <laughs> been in a number of guises with a mm. number of people. Um, very strange thing that they do where they seem to have like a topic to discuss per quarter. And as well as commentating on the game, they have this like transcending conversation. A few weeks ago, if you remember, it was the second quarter and they had their Antonio Brown chat in the Giants game, funnily enough. Uh, which was just bizarre. And then last night they had uh, this like puff piece about Carson Wentz 
for the fourth quarter about, you know, you know he's, got, he's got the contract and he's still a great player. And it just kind of, we're watching him throw to our players and not his players. And at the same time, you're then interrupting every play to tell us that, no, no, he's actually a really good quarterback. It's misunderstood. And yeah, I mean, the three guys in the booth aren't great at the best of times, but the whole structure of it just doesn't work at all for me. Um, And it's just not entertaining. No, I mean, there was a tweet, I think Stacey Ross tweeted last night that she was worried that why was someone that open and realised it was Quandre Diggs that Carson Wentz had thrown to. I mean, (laughs) it was, yeah, it's just, it was, it was, I think because nothing was happening on the field because the game, apart from the last 40 seconds, was in hand. They just had more, as you said to Adam, Adam, uh, it just had more time to fill. And boy, did they struggle. Well, going back to that that Giants, that Tampa Bay game, they spent a good 15 minutes talking about how good Evan Ingram is, um, that he doesn't drop passes. And during the 12-minute the spiel, he dropped three passes. And But... It's like they just they're dictated by the stats that are done pre game and the and the images and, and what the graphic team have done that that's just what they have to stick with. But mm. yeah, they it's it's not a massive upgrade on last season, which is mm. remarkable. No. I, I think um, last night yeah. I think was it Bob Russell Greasy? Wilson. It was Russell yeah. Wilson. Greasy says, Yeah, that's Wilson just showing his ingenuity getting the ball away and then can the yellow flag for an intentional grounding, <laughs> which was uh, very, very funny. <laughs> Time in. Uh all right, Ben. You said you had one. I was intrigued. Who have you yeah. Mine would be the the Dallas Cowboys owner and general manager, Jerry Jones. He's got a timeshare, by the way. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> to be honest... It's a nice straight bat in your first time. I like to <laughs> it, you, you could ask me this question on most weeks and this would just be the, the answer anyway. Um, but com- comparing the Cowboys having to play Ben DiNucci to Denver having to play a practice squad wide receiver on one day's notice when he drafted Ben DiNucci in the seventh round, I just think that's a just... It's just some reach. Basically just saying like... Yeah, I might have drafted him, but he was as bad as a quarterback that hadn't played quarterback since 2017 and took a snap under centre for three years and was told 12 hours before the game that he was not a wide receiver, he was actually a quarterback, was better than the quarterback that he obviously selected at some point. I know the seventh round isn't a guarantee, but he is still the person that's picking this human. And he's still on the roster, so... Imagine that was nice for him to hear. <laughs> it's also um, the thing with Hinton is that the one thing with Hinton was, uh, is like, he got number two. How do you get number two so quickly? Like, no one takes number two, they do. Yeah, but I thought he was going to wear like 83 and throw the football. I was looking forward to like snacks Harrison wearing 59 again. But but yeah, no, Jerry Jones is the worst. I mean, he has no self awareness at all. I mean, that like. Drafting off his yacht. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having his but, war room on the yacht. But it's, yeah, he's just like, he's the biggest anchor around that team's neck. And obviously, because he's Had a w. So, so, uh, <laughs> so rich, it's not going to be cast aside anytime soon. But yeah, Jerry Jones has a timeshare. He's uh, neighbors with uh, Colin Coward and Skip Bayless. So, oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> Adam, <laughs> Jerry? I mean, one question about that Broncos game. Why did he throw it so many times? <laughs> Quite he had about that. 20 passing attempts. I like that Ryan Leaf replied to the, um, the stat that, ca- that they put up in the broadcast that said it was the first time since 1998 that there was more 
interceptions and completions and he said yeah. at least put my name on it <laughs> <laughs> it, was it one for one for 21 i think it was <laughs> just that is so good what was wentz wentz couldn't uh, have been well, far off that at wentz one point was, wentz was ridiculous uh it, yeah it, it like I wish we were in the East, man. I wish we were in the East. <laughs> I'm glad you're not. Uh, but yeah, um, well, yeah, that's everything. Adam, you know, the NFL stuff. Talking of uh, Hinton, the guy who forced him to move to wide, to wide receiver was the guy who's he seems to be getting ever increasingly like closer to the starting gig in for the Rams. Adam I means Sean McVay has had enough. Yeah, that's you really do love seeing love that. It. <laughs> he really is astonishingly bad, Jared Goff, and we've always said it. And it's so nice when uh, we get a bit of confirmation. Uh, it's just you love Sundays like that. You really yeah. do. I mean, I, I watched that game willingly and enjoyed most of it because one, Richard Sherman's back, and Richard Sherman is forever will be king. the king. Um, yeah, thanks Ben for jumping on and talking um, New York Giants. I hope the Wolves the Wolves bring more joy this weekend. Who you got this weekend? Liverpool at Anfield. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're in for a one then. <laughs> I'm looking for And they kick off at, Wolves kick off at seven, which it's just going to be a fun Sunday. Weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, where can people, if people want to come and joust you on Sunday evening, where can people find you on the socials? Uh, just at, on Twitter, at Ben Husband, just as it comes. <laughs> just exactly what it says on the tin <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah if you want to get in touch with the podcast you can all use your means and methods Facebook page UK Seattle Seahawks fans Pedestrian Podcast is on Podbean iTunes and Spotify but as always you know that because you are listening to it on one of those um, avenues uh, yeah massive thanks to Ben massive thanks to Adam and massive thanks to the other Adam who's always here anyway this has been the Pedestrian Podcast Go Hawks Jamal, just with this defense, another big night of success and you know, 5-3 announced to start the game. Just How do you feel like this defense is progressing over the last few weeks? You know, we're coming together, man. Everybody's getting healthy. Uh, we're starting to understand the defense as a whole. We're playing together. We're playing as one. And uh, like I said, man, from the beginning, we knew, we knew what we had. We, we knew what type of talent we had. Um, it was only a matter of time. We understood that, you know, people outside – they was going to chirp, but at the end of the day, we knew who, who we were as a team.